Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Living Astrology with Janet Hickox. Grab your cup of coffee or your tea, sit back, and let's chat about what is happening up in the stars above. And here we are on a Friday, Friday. So excited to have a weekend. This is going to be a, an interesting weekend here in the Pacific Northwest. We have a big storm bearing down on us with high winds, rain, the usual that we have, but just a little bit earlier in the season than we expect. I mean, after all, we're still technically sitting here in summer, right? Summer until next week. So always interesting to see how the weather plays out. And of course, the weather is in large part ruled by the planet Uranus. And we know that Uranus and Saturn have been in a long-term square to one another. And we also know that Uranus in Taurus puts primary effects on the planet itself, on Earth, Mother Earth, on the ground. We've seen a lot of flooding. We've seen a lot of high winds. We've seen a lot of fire. Earth signs, right? Earth, Taurus, Uranus. Uh, unexpectedness, etc. So we have a weekend that begins with the sign of Aquarius, where the moon is transiting through the sign of Aquarius, joining up at different times with Saturn and then with Jupiter. And it is a sign that is ruled primarily by Uranus and co-ruled by Saturn. So we have uh, an interesting weekend. And the weekend is leading us into Monday's full moon, which also happens to be the day that Canada has their national elections. So because Tom uh, Wright is a Canadian, he asked me at some point last week, maybe to look at the chart of Canada, which is interesting because <clears throat> Canada and the USA are very similar in terms of both being cancer countries, cancer meaning they were both born or have their birth dates in July, right? So July 1st for Canada. And we're going to take a look at what is going on in the chart of that day as the full moon comes into its um, exactness right in the uh, ending or, or depending on the time zone, you know, the middle of the election day. So we have a lot to get to today. We're going to start by looking at what's the energy now, where's it going to take us into the full moon, and then taking a look at the Canadian chart. So it might be a day where I don't have as much time to do readings or to answer questions. So let's get started, shall we? Let me just say a quick good morning, Tom. Good, good of you to be out there. And you're very welcome. Um, it's always interesting to take a look at different things, right? So today we're going to take a look at something that use slants astrology in a little bit different way uh, as we're looking at the bigger picture of what the planets are playing not so much on what the individual is expressing good morning christine buckingham and michelle gay good good to see you amanda j hello debbie tibbets two meal and mimi suzanne fulmer good morning corey hello valerie jocelyn good to see you we haven't seen you out there you might be listening in behind the scenes and i just haven't seen you uh in the chat but good morning to you it's great to see you and uh, hello to everybody else, those of you who will listen to this later in podcast format, and hello to those of you who might be in behind the scenes that I'm not seeing in the chat right now. <clears throat> so we're going to start the day with talking about Aquarius, Aquarius energy, and we've had this conversation before, so hopefully there's nothing new here that you're going to learn, but if there is, yay, right? But every time that you hear information about a sign or about a planet, or about the relationship between the signs and the planets, the more you learn and the more then that you can apply that wisdom to your own chart. So again, as I usually say, it's a great idea to have your own astrology chart handy and your own human design chart. Although I'm going to tell you that today, we're not going to spend as much time in human design. We're going to spend much more time in astrology. And Monday, we'll take a look at the, the full moon through the astrologic or through the human design lens, excuse me. So today as the moon is in Aquarius, it is a sign co-ruled by Uranus in the more modern aspects and Saturn in the more traditional aspects. Today's moon makes a square to Uranus, one of his rulers. So we have some tension, right? We have something something underneath the, the surface that has to be squared, if you will, or has to be uh, moved through, has to be solved. And then we have a trine from the moon to Mercury. And as you know, Mercury is slowing down right now. He's in his shadow period of the next 
retrograde, which doesn't begin until September 27th, but the shadow period as the planet slows down kind of tips us in all different directions. We might have some technological problems. We may have problems with our vehicles, with our appliances, uh, with our communication. Our minds may turn over, be confused or scattered. All of those kinds of things are not unbelievably unbelievable to happen in a shadow of a planet going retrograde. Now add the moon's energy to it. And now we have emotions, right? Now we have emotional energy that can sometimes be because of the Uranus uh, influence can sometimes be unexpected, can sometimes be surprising and impulsive. And then also Saturn's um, rulership can off, often add a little bit of um, fatigue or lethargy or a sense of feeling melancholy to the picture. So kind of get the idea that we start the, the weekend today and tomorrow, especially in the field of energy that is a little bit upsetting for some and exciting for others. So be prepared, right? You might have the excitement of it and you might have the not so exciting uh, surprises that happen during this period of time. So Mercury, or not Mercury, excuse me, <laughs> Aquarius as a sign rules inventions inventions and innovation. So we're looking for solutions to problems that are outside of the box or outside of the norm, right? We want to be able to look at things upside down, like in new ways. It reminds me always of that giraffe picture, one of my favorite pictures with the very long neck turned way over in a way that I cannot turn my neck, um, to be able to see things upside down right, or to see things in a new way. This is a time period of bright ideas, of bringing out your brilliance, i.e. your genius. And every time I use that word, I am not talking about your, your intellect. I'm not talking about your intelligence quotient. I'm talking about that part of you that is so unique, right, that if you're focusing on your uniqueness, your brilliance and your genius, then you find yourself in the way of your own authenticity, right? You can't help but be authentic, finding your own personal authority when you're living life according to your um, brilliance, right? Or your genius. So genius to me is never about the intellect. It's always about what is it that you can do better than anybody else can do. And this is a unique viewpoint, right? This is unique. This is your um, possible eccentricity, right? Sometimes <laughs> I always think of Aquarians as walking or marching to the beat of their own drummers, right? There's the sense that they, they do things their way. And it's not necessarily my way or the highway. It's just that they, they see things differently. So when the moon is moving through Aquarius, we all have the opportunity to see things differently. So challenge yourself to see things in a new way, not from the old way, not necessarily even from a predictable way, but maybe just set, set back and be more objective because Aquarius is one of the more objective signs. So the potential, the high side here is that even though the moon is moving through Aquarius, is that maybe we can set our emotional reactions on the shelf, right, during this few days so that we can see things from a more objective viewpoint. Now, Uranus and Aquarius and even somewhat Saturn rule the future here. So we're having a future potential. And when we look at um, the future, we're looking at unconventional approaches to our old problems so or to enduring problems. So we have an enduring problem on the planet. And how is it that we then can apply a new approach that is more future oriented, that in a very strong way becomes more sustainable for the future or more preserving of the whatever for the future, right? So if we want to look at climate change, for example, what can we do now that's going to preserve uh, the planet for the future, the habitats that we have for the future. And also because there's new and unconventional ways of changing or doing things, what 
cutting edge things, uh, processes or programs or uh, approaches are there out there to solving these old problems. It's always It always reminds me of, I think it was Einstein that said, you cannot solve a problem from the same level of the mind that it or from consciousness that it was created in. So it's really begging for us to see things differently, to approach things in a different way. It is also promoting a long range approach. We cannot just sit here and look at the short, right? We can't look at just what's happening today. That's like short sightedness. We have to be able to look at the long range impact of the things that we are doing, right? The sustainability factor of the things that we are doing. So it acts, asks us to look at our goals, our dreams, our visions, our hopes, our aspirations for the future. And I can guarantee you that one of the things that we want for our future is a planet that is viable for our children, right? I know there are a lot of people out there, you know, already thinking ahead and going to Mars, terraforming Mars, and let's get off this planet. But that's very, again, short-sighted. It is also an old pattern that we have. It is an old pattern that we have for humanity to come in, use up the resources of an area, and then move on, sort of like a virus. Mm, think about that one. So how can we use technology? How can we use our brilliance and our genius in a way that creates sustainability and uh, long-range uh, viability of uh, life on the planet and humanity on the planet? Speaking of humanity, Aquarius rules humanity. It rules humanitarianism. It rules everything to do with the outcomes that we can create that, that are good for all. It is a sign and an age, by the way, because we're also moving into or have moved into, we're on the cusp of the age of Aquarius, which means that everything that we're talking about today isn't only just for the now, but it's also taking us into about a 2600 year age where we're looking at what is the best for the most number of people. What is the highest and best for the bigger picture, right? So uh, we, we talk about this periodically we, because we're seeing it, right? We're seeing in the um, discussions that we have about vaccinations and uh, mandated mask wearing or mandated uh, vaccines and things like that, where we have to weigh and balance the good of the all against the good of the individual. And that takes us into questions about free freedom and uh, you know, the free will and all of that. So these are things, right, that are creating um, our ability to see the bigger picture. And I would tell anybody at this point, whether you are, you know, anti or pro vaccine or mask wearing, take a look back, get step back out of your own personal bias and see the bigger picture. What do you see when you look from the bigger picture without fear, without the fear? That's the other thing here is that being objective requires you to set fear on the shelf. It requires you to set your opinions on the shelf so that we can see what's the better, bigger picture and what's the good for all. And then Aquarius is an identification with humanity, right? With humanity, seeing the larger world view. I'm even going to say seeing a larger universal view, a larger galactic view of who we are as humans, who we are as uh, earthlings, right? So we're taking this bigger picture and we're also seeing this division that is causing us to question what's best for the most number of people versus what's best for me. And we are having to find the solutions for that, right? Big, big deal going on. Also, the moon moving through Aquarius brings up ahas, epiphanies, shocks, surprises, excitement, even some of you may be feeling that nervous feeling in your stomach. I know I woke up kind of with that. It's uh, I know often when I see that or feel that, I mean, it's a, a, an Aquarian thing. There's something that I need to look at as far as what might be coming up, what's bubbling up from deep within that might come up and be something that's exciting or has an unexpected result. There might be something unexpected in the day, today and tomorrow, by the way. And uh, freedom, another hallmark word for Aquarian energy. 
we're dealing with that. We're grappling with that issue here in the whole scheme of Aquarian energy. So in the bigger picture aspect of Aquarius energy, we have divination and all of our divination tools from the I Ching to Oracle to cards, tarot cards, astrology, numerology, you name it. All of those divination tools fall under Aquarian energy because it helps us access the bigger picture. It helps us see the longer range. It helps us tap into the truth, right? Or the, the inner truth. And also humor, right? Humor, a big part of Aquarian energy. You're going to see that humor when we get to the chart of Canada. We're going to see that they that country was born with a sun Uranus uh, conjunction. And the Sun Uranus conjunction is also apparent in a lot of comedians, right? Comedians. So humor, bringing humor. Uh, I think about our Tom out there who's always joking, right? He's always got a joke. He's always got a thing to make us laugh. Um, Canadian, maybe, huh? Maybe. We'll see. Manifesting dreams, right? Bringing our our deepest desires into reality. Friendships, associations, our group affiliations are all under um, Aquarian energy as well. Uh, networking, <clears throat> so all of our social media, all of the different places where we show up in groups or where we show up as a network are also uh, part of Aquarian energy. Forthrightness, isn't that an interesting word, right? <clears throat> As opposed to Sagittarian's bluntness, we have Aquarian forthrightness, right? Being truthful, being upfront, being transparent, maybe. Interesting. Giving and receiving platonic love, also a part of Aquarius. It takes us into that universal love, right? Universal love energy, not just romantic, not, um, you know, sibling to sibling or uh, you know, lovers, it's more about how we love each other as humans, right? Has the bigger platonic love. Now, of course, the lower frequency energies we also discuss as well, just because they're also inherent in the sign. And inherent in the sign of Aquarius is excessive detachment. So getting so objective that you step too far back and you say, oh, this isn't my problem right? This isn't, this has nothing to do with me, right? I can't change the planet. I can't do this or I can't do that, right? Detaching from the responsibility that you might have or from the possibility that you can make an impact in some way. There's a coldness or an aloofness that is often characterized in Aquarius energy or in Aquarian people. Sometimes they are perceived as cold or aloof because they are so objective that they've maybe just stepped one step too far into objectiveness or objectivity. So watch for that, right? You don't want to detach completely. You want to be observant. You want to be able to be objective, but you don't want to give up your responsibility or the part that you can play, however small or big it might be, in making change on the planet. Erratic behavior, shocking behavior, also potential in uh, the more unconscious Aquarian energy, and also a sign that's known for having inflexible opinions. It always makes me think of gate 17, even though gate 17 is not an Aquarian gate. Um, just making sure it's not. Nope, it is not an Aquarian gate. Um, so it's not necessarily about the gate of opinions so much in the scientific way of thinking about that or of a hypothesis. It's more like when they think about something, they dig into my way is the right thought process. You all need to come on board with me, right? So we have to be able to understand and use opinion energy in its correct um, way. All right, so good morning, Natasha. Good morning, Smirti. From, she says, he, she or he, I'm not sure, says hello from Nepal. Well, thank you for joining us. Good morning, Kathleen Mallory and J-Lo. And um, blessings to all, Natasha says. I love that. Thank you so much. Amy D, good morning. Andy Girl, good morning. Irene from Sweden, good for you. Happy to see you. Glad to see you out there. And uh, welcome anybody else that I might have missed saying good morning to. Uh, so if you have questions about Aquarius energy, uh, hold on to those questions maybe until the end. Let's take a look now uh, at what the progression of the weekend looks like. So for one thing, I want to talk a little bit about the Pleiadian Earth energy, the calendar. So you guys all know 
Pleiadian Earth Energy Calendar 2021 is actually an 18 month calendar. So this calendar takes us all the way into June of 2022, right? June 2022. And this that makes this useful for a very long time without having to go out and purchase another. And as I was looking at this, the full moon on which is what we're moving into right now a discussion of falls on the one day the one the umbrella or the over lighting energy of one seeing so the conversation we're having right now about aquarius is sort of the stage setter if you will for the full moon which occurs in pisces right the full moon in pisces occurring on the same day that we have a one seeing day on the calendar and we're, I'm going to take us a little bit deeper into that when we talk about the full moon. But that also means then that on Sunday, as we're preparing for the full moon, we have a 13 day, 13 healing is the last day of the cycle that began with one breathing back on September 7th. So remember there's that we're in the uh, Pleiadian Earth calendar. We're looking at a 13-day spiral of consciousness. We're not looking at a linear or mechanically driven calendar. The Gregorian calendar that we use typically is a mechanical or a linear calendar where one day follows the other. But embedded in the Pleiadian Earth calendar, which was also a calendar that is very similar to the Mayan calendar, we think that the Mayans actually picked it up from the Pleiadians. They always said they got it from the star people. The star people may indeed be the Pleiadians. And if that's the case, then what we are seeing in this calendar is the spiraling of consciousness and how one week blends into the next and that every week presents us with an opportunity to work through an umbrella energy as we're viewing it through the energy possible for each of the given days. So we have one seeing that begins on the 20th on Monday with the full moon and takes us then to two intuiting and then three evolving and then four self-regulating, five catalyzing. So we get to view the energy of seeing in different ways. Now, let's go back to the 13 energy. The 13 energy then is always the day of ascension. It's the day, the bridge between the energy of the spiral that's completing and the energy to the new spiral that will be beginning. So when we have 13 healing energy, it takes us into the womb and the shamanic processes. So we might have a shamanic journey or we might have uh, a transformational kind of day that's meant for us to heal whatever it was that the new ideas and opportunities of one breathing brought to us during that 13 day period of time. I hope everybody's understanding these are not days necessarily that we can look at as just a one off. Right. So I know it's 13 healing, but 13 healing has encoded in it all of the other 12 days that began with one breathing just like the full moon on monday will have the energy of one seeing but encoded within it is all of the potential for the the next the intervening 12 days right or 13 full days if you count that day too so it's always very interesting for us to look at the days especially when they're falling on something like uh, a full moon because it's giving us an opportunity. Now, what is the full moon about, right? That the, the mechanics, if you will, of a full moon put the sun and the moon in an opposition to one another. In doing so, it puts the moon in a conjunction to the earth and the sun then opposing both the moon and the earth. You are placed on the earth. So the full moon has a lot of prep puts a lot of pressure on humanity to maybe release ego attachments to release whatever it is release into even the energies of what that moon represents and that moon for us this time is going to be in the sign of pisces in fact it will be at 28 degrees pisces which puts it across the pisces virgo axis in the chart now, remember, as I always say, these are not energies that fall in the vacuum of just one sign because the nature of an opposition is pitting these uh, two planets, three planets in this case, across from one another. And it 
is a time then for us to balance and harmonize, to bring into some kind of peaceful sort of equilibrium the energies that we've been experiencing. And that would put us at what it was that was instituted at the new moon. So two weeks previous, back on September 6th, 6th, 7th, which also happens to be the day of one breathing. So we're seeing the moons falling on the days that are the one beginnings of the weeks. That's kind of fascinating, don't you think? And if that is the case, then what is it now that you might need to let go or release or what kind of aha or revelation can be brought to your awareness during this period of time? Now, the full moon is on Jan or January, September 20th at 7.55 p.m. East Coast time. That makes it 4.55 p.m. for those of us on the West Coast. That makes it at 11.55 p.m. for those of you in Europe or at least in the UTC time zone. You'll have to add hours or subtract hours if you're in between there. And I, as I always do, love to look up in my Sabian symbol, my astrological mandala from um, uh, Dane Rudyar, the cycle of transformation and its 360 degree symbolic phases or its 360 symbolic phases and uh, giving us a look at what the degree is that's involved here. And the, um, the, the, the little poetry that goes with it is about light breaking into many colors as it passes through a prism. The keynote was the relationship of the one to the many. And I went, oh my gosh, even though this is Piscean energy, this happens to be one of the very last degrees of the sign. So we have to look deeper. And doesn't that sound a little bit like the Aquarian energy even that we have been, that's been being brought to our attention? The new drumbeat is about how do we become, how do we maintain our individuality, but also recognize that we're part of a bigger tapestry. And underneath that keynote is differentiation and the ability that we have as humans to be all of these different individuals. So when you look through a kaleidoscope and you see all those different fragments, all those different fractal patterns, they're beautiful, right? They're beautiful in their individuality, but they're also beautiful in how they fall together as a pattern in the kaleidoscope. Every time you turn the kaleidoscope, those individual pieces turn into something else right? They differentiate, but they're also a part of this bigger picture. So the biggest lesson of the full moon at 28 degrees Pisces, which by the way, when you look at it for a Sabian symbol, you have to add one degree. So it's actually 29 degrees of Pisces that you look at for the book or when you go onto a site to look it up. So we're looking at, you know, the karma involved even perhaps here as people, how have we been so short-sighted and so focused in on me, 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 and or my beliefs, my religion, my country, my whatever, you fill in the blank, that we fail to see that that's just a fractal. It's just a piece. It is just a, uh, a, a breaking of one of the colors of the prism, right? So we have to be able to see the bigger picture. And the, the sun-moon opposition says, how do we balance this? How do we balance the expression of who we are as people, the physical expression of who we are on the planet with the uh, spiritual part of who we are? The spiritual part of who we are sees no differences. It doesn't see that we are any different. It sees, it values the that the differences are all a part of what makes us unique and unique as a part of a bigger whole. So this is both personal and collective energy at this particular moon. And it's it, to me, when I look at this, this is probably one of the most potentially positive full moons that we've had in a while, actually. The full moon sometimes brings us some chaos, right? In that having to let go of something or the releasing or the, the, the aha moment type of thing. But in Pisces energy, there's a more gentle and compassionate potential in the energy. And the next thing that we do as a, a looking at a moon is that we look or a full moon or a new moon is we look at what are the closest aspects involved in the moon, right? When we're looking at this particular new full moon, the only aspect that's really closest is Mercury in a trine to Jupiter. 
So, and that's always good news, right? Mercury brings news, brings messages, brings information, brings ideas, brings aha moments that can be used or useful. And in uh, a trine with Jupiter, it can also be something that's beneficial, that takes us into the future, that has us seeing the bigger picture, right? So to me, Mercury in a trine to Jupiter at the new full moon, excuse me, is really about seeing the bigger picture and getting messages of hope, and optimism, of, um, of a brighter future, perhaps. Now, I know that we're still grappling with problems, right? We still have COVID. I just lost my nephew-in-law last night to COVID. And it breaks my heart to see how many families are being impacted by this as they don't get an opportunity to say goodbye, really. I mean, unless it's via Zoom or something because they can't be in the hospital room. So it breaks my heart when this is happening. But there's got to be a bigger picture here. There's got to be some kind of good news that we can look to, something bigger, brighter in the future that all of this is leading us to. I wish I knew what it was. I wish I could just put my arms around everybody and say, this is going to be okay. It sounds trite to say that. But I think this full moon brings us to that point that if we can come together, if we can take even all of our different little pieces, voices, opinions, ideas, bring them together and see that there's a bigger organizing picture, what can we do that's for the best of the most number of people, that we can beat this, that we can make a brighter future. So there's that in this full moon, which is always to me so, so interesting. Now, let me see, did I, hold on, because I was doing so many different things this morning with the Canada chart. I don't know if I actually um, did anything with the full moon chart. Uh, let me see, just for a minute, it's going to look like I'm looking away because, yes, I totally blew it. I totally blew it. But one of the things I wanted to do this morning, which I'm not going to do, I don't want to take the time to do it, is uh, to talk about... <clears throat> a yod that appears in the chart of um, the full moon. And I haven't seen anybody talking about the, this yod that shows up in the full moon. And I know it's because the planet Chiron and the planet Ceres or the dwarf planet Ceres are involved in that yod. And most astrologers kind of set off that it, if it's a yod, it should only be the major planets and some be people even think it should just be the outer planets. There's a lot of opinions around what to, to look at. But because I'm different, <laughs> I decided I need to look at this yod. And let me see if I can highlight it in this chart. I'm going to highlight it in green because I think that might be the best way for us to see it. Chiron, here we are, Chiron and Ceres. Okay. And did I just, yeah. So can you guys see this? The highlighted part? Let me make it a little bit darker. There we go. So you see that yod. A yod is a configuration that is made up of different aspect patterns. On each side of the yod, we have a 150 degree inconjunct, it's called, or a quincunx. So you might hear either of those terms. A 150 degree angle puts a relationship in planets that don't understand each other or in signs that don't get one another, right? It's like, um, you know, putting uh, two completely different types of people in the same room and asking them to solve a problem. <laughs> that sort of sounds like Congress kind of sounds like, you know, the legislative branch where you put all these different ideologies in and now you have to solve problems and it requires uh, each side to be able to give and take a little, to sacrifice something, to um, become more adaptable, right? So we have the sides that are causing adaptability or a sacrifice of something. And then we have a base, right? A base that is called a sextile, where we have planets that do see eye to eye. Their colleagues may be from different branches of, of science, but they, they speak a same common language. The language of science is usually mathematics. So we have Chiron over here in Aries speaking fire, speaking boldness, speaking something new. And we have Ceres, the mother goddess. She's over here in the sign of Gemini. And she's speaking ideas and potential and possibilities. 
So we have commonality, we have common ground between the two, even if they might go about doing the, the solution in a different way. And the, the idea behind the yod is there's a planet up at the point. And that's the nozzle, if you will. It's the point at which we have to pour the energy. So the solution, if you will, the antidote, if you will, to the balancing of the two sides falls at Venus. Falls at Venus. Venus is the point planet here. And Venus is in Scorpio. So we're looking at 11 degree Venus. I love that 11 degrees. Chiron at 11 degrees. Ceres at 11 degrees. So we have an exact yod. Right. This is exact. So I can't believe other astrologers aren't bringing this one up. So what is Chiron in Aries about? So we've been grappling with this for a while, and it is the same kind of concept, the idea of balancing the needs of the one with the needs of the many. Only in Aries energy, it's slanted more to the one. It's it's more uh, about the individual's pathway right? The individual, who am I? And if I'm living my life in joy, in pleasure, in fun, in um, being bold and courageous and doing what's right for me, then I also allow that for others. So we've been learning about how it is that we can do that. But we also have a wound here. And the wound is when we get too far to the independence, I am one, I am, and that's all there is. And uh, or too far to the other side, which is codependence, where I rely on everybody else. So what we're learning is about interdependence, interdependence. It sounds a lot like the Aquarian ideals that we were talking about again back at the beginning of the show this morning. So interdependence is where the the beauty lies in the Chiron part of this base. And then at the other end, we have Ceres. Ceres is the mother goddess, Demeter. Um, in the mythology, who is having to break away from, let go of her daughter so that uh, she can live her own life. So it kind of, to me, it makes us look at, well, what things are we holding on so tightly that are smothering us, right? That are taking us away from the flow of the planet. Ceres in Gemini is duality. So there's a dual nature here, the dual nature of the nature of the individual and the nature of the collective person, uh, personal uh, and collective, right? So we have a basis for which we can actually mind that, that we can take care of that, that we can grow from that. Then what we need to do is move toward Venus and Scorpio. Venus and Scorpio is about digging up the dark. It She takes us on the, the journey through um, the the things that divide us within ourselves, right? She represents our love for one another. She represents our relationships to one another. She represents our values. So if we can uh, uh, attempt to focus on our common core values, then we have a solution. We have a way to adapt to the changing circumstances here on the planet. And sometimes in Scorpio energy, it can come out in secretive ways. There can be some passive aggression that's going on. There can be out-out um, manipulation. There can be sort of the conspiracy theory uh, energy that we have to move beyond, right? We have to move beyond. We have to become more transparent. We have to demand more transparency so that we can actually know what's the real truth or at least have enough energy uh, facts uh, so that we can make good decisions as people individually, but also as people as a collective. So Venus in Scorpio is taking us on the deeper journey, but also a loving journey. This is about connecting with our passions and what is it that we can be passionate about? And we're not all going to be passionate about the same things. That's the other part of this. We can't all be passionate about being healers. We can't all be passionate about being astrologers. We can't all be passionate about being teachers. We all have our own individual path here that balances our individual individuated self and the role that we play in the collective as that individuated self. I hope all of this is making sense to everybody this morning because there's so much here and so much that 
that isn't exactly clear because when we have a yacht, it mucks things up a bit. It makes things a little bit harder for us to see. It means that some of us are going to have an easier journey through this full moon than others. That's always the case, really, but I think it might be a little more obvious um, that you're having an easy period of time, but yet your sisters or your brothers or your kids or your, your friends, they're having a more difficult time with the energy. So that may be happening. The best way forward here is to be in your own true self, right? To be your own truth, to live your truth, right? But that means then you also have to allow others to be in their truth and to live their passions. So it's a balancing act. Again, we see a balancing act. And I wanted to show something else that's also going to show up in the chart of Canada when we transition to that. I don't want to, I'm going to use orange. I think it might show up better on the screen. And I want you to note that there is a sort of reverberation pattern setting up here. And um, uh, I'm trying to think of the term we use in astrology and it just went out of my head a boomerang sort of effect where we have a line and opposition between two planets and the planet here is Uranus and up here it is Venus. So we have problems, right? We have problems in this to establish. So there's Uranus at the midpoint between Chiron and uh, Ceres. And so the way out, partly the, the reverberation is not going too far into the future that we forget that we have to form a foundation first. So this is showing up in the in the, the Canadian uh, election chart because it's showing up in the full moon chart, right? We have the opposition. It's a little bit off by about three degrees here with Venus, um, but it shows up in the birth chart also, I believe, of, of Canada. And we're going to be looking at that. I'm going to show a graphic of that in a minute. So we also have the opposition that we have to solve. And the opposition between Venus, our relationships, our loving values, our, our personal uh, self-worth versus uh, Uranus, which is easing us, not easing, pushing us into the future, pushing us to change, to resolve uh, where we're caught, where we're stuck, the old versus the new, right? So we're being forced to square with that. Every day, there's a lot of pressure being put on us around this. And in orb still is the square from Uranus to Saturn. So we still have the bigger collective changes. And I always think it's interesting that Saturn and Uranus show up together in a chart like this, because in mythology, remember, Saturn is the father or is it Kronos? Kronos, and is castrated by his son. And that is always showing us that we have to die to the old in order to birth the new. So we have to let go of something in order to move forward into a brighter tomorrow. Now, sometimes we do that in shocking ways. Sometimes things happen totally and completely out of our control, like COVID, right? Something happens that pushes us in that new direction, the wind howling out there. And when we have that, then we need to be able to somehow take the best of the past and bring it and marry it to the best of the future and make it show up positively here in this now moment. So awesome stuff, right? The Pleiadian calendar, the full moon Pleiadian calendar, as I said, begins with one seeing on the full moon day. So the full moon seek the highest aspirations is what one seeing tells us. And this is the umbrella energy for 13 days after the full moon. It's taking us right up to the next new moon. Expanding our consciousness, sharing with others what our expanded, of that expanded consciousness, of our expanded selves. Watching to, uh, for, that we don't make rash decisions from fear. Because when we, or for, because we want freedom. Seeing says, take the bigger view, take the bigger view. Freedom is a desire. Yes, right. We want freedom that at least in this country, in the West, we often have this, you know, freedom is one of our hallmark values, but we have to see the bigger picture, right? We have to see the bigger picture and we have to explore everything from the more spiritual point of view or from that higher perspective, not just from the 
nose right in front of the window kind of perspective. We have to step back. We have to become more objective. I can't make this stuff up. This is all, I mean, I did a lot of research yesterday on all of these different aspects of the moon uh, for the full moon. And because all of the lead in energy is taking us up to this, we have to be able to be aware. Now, when we're looking at Pisces, Pisces energy is ruled by Neptune. And Neptune is very close to the moon, not close enough to call it an, a conjunction. But Neptune is at 21 Pisces, the new moon, full moon will be at 28 degrees. So that's still seven degrees, pretty close. It's really calling us to be more spiritually aware, to look from the higher perspective into the problems on the planet or into whatever things that you might be experiencing in your own personal life. But remember, Neptune ruling Pisces can sometimes blur, can sometimes make it hard to see out the window of the eyes, right? So we have to, uh, we have to approach things from our intuition, from our higher knowing. We can't just see with our eyes. Even though one seeing says seeing, we're seeing from a different viewpoint. We're seeing from other tools that we have. Intuition, right? Knowingness. Um, those are profound tools that we have. We see it in human design that there are three ways of knowing. Logic being only one third of the three. <laughs> um, knowingness as a second way and intuition a third way. So we have three, we have access to three ways of knowing in humanity. But we've been pretty slanted to logic. If I can see it, feel it, taste it, touch it. If I can predict the pattern based on what I've experienced in the past, that's all logic. But it cuts out these other two things, right? Knowingness, just pure knowingness. I don't know how I know what I know. I just know, right? That's very spiritual. I'm connected somehow to super consciousness. And I can't tell you how it is that information comes to me. It just comes to me. The other side is intuition, the small voice, the instinctual awareness of what to do or who to be or where to go, um, what to bring up in the moment. So we have these three ways of knowing. We have to get out of just being in the logic, which is related to the mind, which is really just a prediction of an outcome based on patterns that you see repeating so that we can differentiate during this moon so that we can be part of the bigger picture. Now, I'm just going to take a quick, just say a quick thing about the human design aspect. We'll look at the human design aspects of the full moon on Monday. The sun will be at the gate six, which is on the emotional center. The gate 36 is where the earth and the moon will be. It is also on the emotional center. So do you think this might be an emotional full moon, right? The gate six is the gate that uh, is the energy of, of, of love and war. It is the energy of... Um, arguments and anger and upset, or it can be of love and joyful expression in our relationships. It is a gate of intimacy. It is a gate that busts through people's auras. So the sun right now is pushing us, right, to become more together, to become more peaceful. Peace is the opposite of war, presumably. But if you look up peace, it's the absence of war, and that's not good enough. We have to deal with that in a more intimate way. We have to find a new um, definition of what is peace. And on the other side, where's the earth and the moon? They're at the gate 36. There's a restlessness in the uh, air. There is a, um, a, a subtle sort of, uh, maybe it's not so subtle, there's turbulence, there's chaos that's brewing. I think we all feel it that whether it's going to come out in, in political explosions, personal explosions, collective explosions, who knows, but we kind of feel that energy and that's where the sun and the earth are. But the highest expression of the gate 36 is really going to take us into using the energy of change to transform the face of the planet, right? To transform our personal lives. So again, we'll take a deeper dive into that on Monday and uh, that so Monday have your human design chart for sure with you. OK, now let's switch. We're going to now take a look at Canada, Canada, as Tom always calls it, Canada. So I'm going to share my screen. First of all, I want to make sure I have the window open. Uh, nope, that's not the one. First, I want to share this screen and we may go a little bit over time. I only have a couple minutes to go over time today, 
but if we don't finish it up today, then we will also take up Canada on Monday. Where did StreamYard go? Okay. <laughs> Share my screen and it's going to be a Chrome tab and it's going to be, maybe it's a window instead. There it is. Okay. Now, here you go. What you're looking at is the chart of Canada. Now, the only time I could find for Canada's birth was at midnight a.m. So my thoughts about that is because most people are not up signing, you know, um, documents at that particular time. But I trust Liz Green, the an astrologer. This is a chart that she had for Canada. And I'm, my, my assumption is the signing of the document was meant to go into effect at the on July 1st. And so that must be how they developed that time. I'm not sure. I will keep searching for more information, but we're going to use this chart. And when we look at this chart, then on the inner wheel, what you're seeing is the birth chart of Canada. And then on the outer wheel, we're taking a look at what the chart looks like on September 20th, their national election day. And we're able then to see how the planets from the transits are playing with the planets from birth. And because that's the same day as the full moon, we know that there's going to be an opposition building between the sun and the moon. But at this point in time, remember the full moon isn't until 7.55 p.m. And this chart is set for midnight. So we have a long time yet before the full moon is actually activated. So we're in the shadow of the full moon during the uh, election. So that still puts us somewhat in the uh, energy of the new moon, right? Or in the quarter moon that brought up some challenges, uh, the challenge of action. So um, there's the potential for this to still be uh, pushing in a new direction and not necessarily a uh, return to an old direction. So there's that. Um, when I take a look at this chart, the first thing that I noted was the opposition in the national chart of Pluto to Saturn. And that is, uh, you, we've got Saturn up in Scorpio. Saturn, by definition, in a chart of a country, represents the elderly, the older people, the elders, let's say, of the country. It represents conservatism. It represents mines and mining. It represents the, a, a reduction in the advantage of the house that it sits in. It sits in the house eight of the chart in the whole sign system. And Hellenistic astrology, which is what we're using here, does de definitely use this whole sign or the whole house um, way of doing this. So it means that it's a country that sometimes is may, has difficulty in changing, that sometimes they move ahead and it's followed by a time period of staying more stagnant or uh, avoiding change, followed by a period of change followed by a period of stagnancy. And so it is a, 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 a pattern that you see in the um, chart of Canada. Now on the other side is Pluto. And Pluto is in the second house of the country. By the way, the eighth house, besides being a place of change, is also about um, the, um, the national debt, if you will, the debt load that a country holds, the mortality rates, the death rates in a country. Um, it is also a place where the services, the like um, uh, social security, I don't know what you call it in Canada, I can't remember what it's called, um, but similar to the US social security or money that comes from retirements or universalized healthcare, for example, the benefits, cash or otherwise that come to the people from the government. So the eighth house rules that. So we have Saturn setting up a field of energy here in the chart that is conservative, but is also giving to the people. So a lot of the, I would say there, if there's national debt in Canada, it comes from the benefits that the people are receiving. And then the question or the dialogue then is about how do we reduce the costs of programs that we're providing or how do we reduce the number of services that we're giving? So this is an opposition in the chart. So it's always at play, always in play. Um, issues between the second house, which is the money that comes into the personal charts or the personal lives of the people 
the ability of the people to purchase, to, to pay their bills, to live their lives. And it pits it against the ability of the government to try to be conservative in the amount of money that they're giving to people. Interesting because Saturn in a sign of flow, right? A sign, a water sign, while Pluto is in the more earthly practical sign of Taurus. So we have an interesting opposition here that is also a part of a yod. The yod in the natural, in the national chart of, of uh, Canada pits Neptune and Venus at the base with uh, Saturn up at the north, at the nozzle or the, the node, the top part of this. And so we have sometimes a, a very good dialogue going on between what is right, what do we value as people, and how do we set up a flow for the people, but how do we also, because Saturn's involved, how do we keep it within boundaries? So a lot of the national debt, the, the national uh, spending on economy, uh, the national conversation around um, services and so forth has to be about how do we serve the most number of people? How do we make it uh, a national value? But how so? How also can we keep it within a budget, right? So balancing uh, the needs of the many versus the needs of the one. It's so, so interesting to see it in the chart. Now, here is also the Uranus-Sun conjunction in the chart. The sun and Uranus together, the sun in a chart of a, a country represents its rulers, right? The head of state uh, and whoever that is going to be is often going to be at flux. It might mean, I don't know much about Canadian, in fact, I know nothing about Canadian politics comes right down to it. I mean, I know that there's a prime minister. Uh, it appears that Justin Trudeau is the prime minister and he called some kind of an election or he disbanded Congress or their legislature and it it uh, triggers a, a, an event, an election. If I'm wrong on that, uh, I apologize. I just don't know much about the politics of it. But I can see that whatever is happening in Canada is because there's often change in leadership and often then change in leadership styles. So we might go from liberal to conservative, which is a huge change. And then we might go back from conservative to liberal. And I know there's other parties, but let's just use the two for the moment. And that can create chaos. It can create upsets. It can create a country that is always having to merge through change and transformation. And I don't know how frequently that happens, but I bet if we look at the history of Canada, it happens a lot. And if that's the case, it can be a good thing, right? It makes the country itself more progressive. It tends to draw in leaders that are looking more progressive. But then there is a trine to that Uranus to Saturn. And in, in that case, then there's often going to be times where the leadership becomes more conservative. So we have a little bit of a battle between the conservatives and the liberals if you will. Those are broad designations, by the way, on my part. I'm just making it a bigger picture. Now, the day of the election. The day of the election, Uranus. Okay, you get, get out of my house. Go. Oh, he's such a rascal. I apologize. Now, the day of the election, Uranus is sitting in a conjunction to the Canadian Pluto. Change is afoot, or at least the pressure for change. The problem with a Pluto in Taurus is it's a fixed sign. It has to have a lot of impetus to make change. And Uranus is one of those planets that can create change, but that change has repercussions as it blows all the way across the chart over here to Saturn and upsets the status quo. So likely the energy of the, the day provides upsets provides changes. And I know there's probably local elections going on at the same time or state elections, province or provincial elections going on at the same time. So without looking at the provinces individually, I could say chances are there's going to be some upsets in the status quo uh, during this election cycle. Now, when we look at the uh, people, what's the mood of the people, the public, the people that are going to go out and vote? We're looking at the moon in the national chart is Gemini and uh, the 28 degree mark of Gemini. I'm not sure why I don't live in Canada because that's exactly where my sun sits. No wonder I live so close to Canada. Uh, a very, you know, powerful 
connection to Canada through my husband's relatives. It's kind of funny to see that. But when you look at the, the moon, there's a dual nature here. There is a sort of, it reminds me of the United States in that the moon for the U.S. is in Aquarius, different place, but there's this dual nature. Again, conservative, liberal, um, maybe the uh, East versus the West. Maybe you have an English speaking country, but also a French speaking part of the country. And I know that's true. So we have this dual nature of the people. They like ideas, right? They, they, they look for possibilities. They're progressively wanting change, right? This is a sign that's adaptable and versatile that looks for possibilities. So the nature of the people in the state, in the country, the mood of, of the people at the signing of this was there's always going to be this duality going on. And then that forces the people or the government to always try to solve duality to come to some form of oneness, but oneness is not always easily um, made in this way. If we look at the mood of the people on the day of the election, what we have is the moon in Pisces and very close to the nation's south node. And let's see, the moon that day or at that moment of this is at 15 degrees of Pisces and the south node is at 16 degrees of Pisces. I'm wondering if the mood of the people is to want to go backwards in some way right? The, the nation's south node is in Pisces. There's a disclarity, there's a disillusionment, there's a blurriness and not seeing things clearly that this country's born out of, almost like it can't gain a national identity, that it needs to somehow differentiate. Interesting, the full moon is going to be a differentiation. How does Canada come out of the shadow of the USA, perhaps? Or how does it come out of the shadow of the imperialist um, queen uh, monarchy energy. So there's there's this need for it to break out, break away, break into a, a new identity during this period of time. And that can force the mood of the people then to make changes. The interesting thing is that with the south node here, that means the north node is opposite. So here's the north node at 16 degrees of Virgo. And that happens to be where the head of state energy is for uh, Canada in the election. So the head of state energy is going to be truly supported by the candidate, I believe, who can connect most fully with the issues in the sixth house, which is, this is the sixth house. I'm sorry, I drew the line through the six. The sixth house, the concerns of the head of state are going to be around workers and labor. It's going to be around public health. It's going to be around medical services. It's going to be around practical approaches to solving the dilemmas in the medical or in the institutional aspects, the workforce or in the medical force. It is going to be the, um, the, the person who the people trust in a way to be able to solve those problems, to bring practical, organic solutions, not pie in the sky uh, unproven uh, different ways of doing things. So the candidate that is going to be the most like that is the one that holds the most probability of being elected. So the movement of the leader, so out of the disillusionment of the people over here with the moon going through Pisces is the leader that approaches, the, whose approach is the most down-to-earth, pragmatic, organized, step-by-step -step approach. So I don't know who that candidate might be. I did not have a chance to look at that. But as you can see, the charts are complicated. There's not any one way to look at this chart. We can look at it in many different ways. I could also pull out the fact that the na national sun conjunct Uranus is opposing the midheaven of the chart. This is a country that needs to find its authority, that needs to find its steady, eddy space, right? I think of, when I think of Canada, I do think of a more calmer country than say the US. I see, this is just my view, and I'm not in Canada, so I don't know. But I always, I, I have a sort of looking up to Canada kind of feel. And where the US has Pluto in uh, Capricorn, this is Capricorn, which means that we're going through the death rebirth process of gaining our own 
um, goals and living out the highest of our own authority, Canada's midheaven is here. So the midheaven is across from the sun and Uranus, and that makes this a, a, a country who can very easily change their, their authority based on a movement toward the future. And yet they hold on to their traditions. There's a very much steeped in tradition. It's a cancer nation. It's nurturing. It, it's people oriented, but it is also business oriented and it's finding its way into the world as a power, as a in finding its own power may be in its people. So that is all I have the time to share with you for right now. Uh, I have another graphic that I would like to share. I'll share that with you guys all on Monday, taking a look at what some of the issues are in Canada. As I pulled that up, because I didn't know what what what's going on in Canada. What what are the issues in their election? You know, I always knew what our election what things were going to be about, but what's Canada's about? Wouldn't you know it? They echo exactly what it is that we were just talking about. So. That's it for me today. I wish I could do more, but I have a client soon. Uh, much love to all of you. Have a wonderful weekend. Take care. Be safe. And on Monday, we'll take up human design of the full moon. We'll take up the uh, rest of the picture of Canada's national elections. Take care, everybody. Bye for now.